If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and today it is my honor and my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there is a black one in the pew in front of you, and Luke chapter 6 can be found on the top of page 863, top left-hand corner. And if you don't own a Bible, I would uh, encourage you to please take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you so that you have a copy of God's Word of your own. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Luke chapter 6, read the passage that we'll be considering this morning, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we will work our way through this passage a little bit at a time. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 37. Hear now, people of God, the word of God. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Would you give grace to us here this morning? Enable us to understand your word. And help me to not trust in my own understanding. But to fear God. And to lean on him. Speak, Holy Spirit. And give us ears that we would hear. And the church said, Amen. In photography, there is there's a thing called cropping, where you remove unwanted sections of a photograph. And it's, it's an important part of photography because cropping a photo is a way of focusing or magnifying the primary subject of the picture. 
And cropping can be used for other purposes as well. Careful cropping of a photo can completely change the meaning of the picture. Just ask any real estate agent. But it's not just real estate agencies that crop images. Lots of people do this. You may have seen pictures of Dudes in their crummy apartment taking selfies and cropping them with their TV carefully paused on a beach scene or something like with that with the hashtag underneath living my best life. A photo may zoom in on the most condensed part of a crowd or the least condensed part of a crowd depending on what the narrative is. A French news agency recently published an article on welfare. And the article featured a picture of dozens of women in burqas standing in line in front of a job and family services building, leaving an impression about certain segments of the French population. The full photo revealed that the women were actually in line at a bus stop which just so happened to be in front of the Job and Family Services building. In the same way that cropping a photograph can change the meaning of the picture, cropping a Bible verse can do the same thing. And this happens often with the passage before us today. It seems to me that everyone alive has memorized Luke chapter 6, verse 37, which they have cropped down to say, judge not. And by quoting the cropped version of Luke 6, 37, folks usually mean, leave me alone and let me live the life that I want to live. Well, it may come as some surprise, but when the Lord Jesus says, judge not, what he means is judge. Rightly. Judge. Rightly. Here's what Jesus is teaching us today. Here's the big idea. Do eye surgery before you do Eye surgery, meaning remove sin from your own life before attempting to remove sin from someone else's life. Our passage begins with four commandments and then a short explanation, and then Jesus moves on and tells a parable. We're going to see parables all over the Gospel of Luke. A parable is an illustration which just basically teaches a simple lesson. And all of this passage points to the end of verse 42, where Jesus drives the point home that we are to remove the two by four from our eyes so that we can see clearly in order to help someone with the dirt in their own eye. So do eye surgery, capital I, before doing eye surgery. Let's have a look at verses 37 and 38 again. Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Mary Poppins is a perfect movie. Not the new one, that one's okay, but the original Mary Poppins is a perfect movie, the one with Julie Andrews. Do you remember the scene in Mary Poppins when she meets the children for the first time and she pulls out her magical measuring tape and she measures them? The young boy, he's measured as stubborn or something, and then she measures the young girl and she measures as someone who doesn't put her toys away or something. Well, they're, they're a little off put by this and they're like, well, you should measure yourself, Mary Poppins. And she measures herself. And do you remember what the measuring tape says? Practically perfect in every way. See, I told you it's a perfect movie. And so what Jesus is saying here is don't be like Mary Poppins. She's a witch. He's saying, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Make sure that your tape measure measures accurately. Judge not, and you will not be judged. So as I said, four commands, two negative and two positive. We'll consider the negative commands first. Jesus says, judge not, condemn not. Now, there's no magic going on in the Greek language here. Judge just means what you think it means. It means decide between one thing and another. It means distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, suitable, unsuitable, in and out. And the reason that so many people crop this verse to mean judge not only is because we live in a postmodern age. And postmodernism maintains that there is no objective source of truth. Truth is subjective. It is individual. Everyone has their own experience, and therefore everyone has their own version of the truth. So what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. And the golden egg of postmodernism is that you live your truth, I'll live my truth, and we'll all be happy. And so why would you feel a need to tell me how to live my life? Because my life is about my truth. And they try to bring Jesus Christ in on this argument. And they borrow 637 here and they say, see, judge not. But Jesus' command to judge not is not a blank check to live however you want and a protection against anyone telling you you're wrong. Besides, to use judge not in that way is self-defeating. I mean, I hate to be the one to point this out, but judge not is, what's the word? A judgment. And we all judge. We have to judge. It's part of life to judge. Look, I don't care how postmodern you are. If you have to hire a babysitter, you'll be handing out judgments like candy on Halloween. And you should be, because you have something precious 
to protect. The problem isn't judgment. The problem is hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is speaking against. It's the Mary Poppins tape. It's seeing everyone else's problems while carefully ignoring your own. And Jesus is saying, before you go handing out judgment against others, make sure that you aren't guilty of the same thing. Condemn not someone for something that you ought to be condemned of. And so what Jesus is forbidding is a critical Unkind spirit that takes delight in finding fault with others. It's not judging. It's judgmentalism. It's the judging others with a greater severity than one judges oneself. It's the pointing out a set of sins which is more apparent in others while at the same time ignoring a different set of sins in oneself. We have a phrase for this, self-righteousness. My non-Christian guest, I don't know who invited you to church here today, or maybe you came on your own, but when you turn up in a Bible-believing church, you're going to hear Christians in that church talking a lot about sin. You've heard it a lot this morning. And by sin, we mean the breaking of God's commandments. And if those Christians are doing it right, they'll be talking a lot more about their own sin than they will about others' sin. But either way, this may feel judgy to you. And I get it. But I promise you, this is out of love. Let me explain. God is the creator. He has created all of us. And since God created us, it makes sense that we should work in the way that God created us to work. And then when we live differently from the way in which God created us to live, it doesn't lead to joy, it leads to sorrow and to pain and to death. And God knows this. And so God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to rescue us. Jesus died for all the wrong that we've done, for the mess that we've made of our lives. He suffered our death in our place. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when sinners like you turn from their sin, and turn to Jesus in faith, he restores them to the life that he's made for them to live. And he shows them the way that will actually lead to joy and peace and happiness. And friend, we want that for you. If you want that for yourself, turn to Jesus today. Confess your sins and place your faith in him. After the service is over today, As Pastor Matt has already said, find someone who looks like a regular and ask them to explain that in more detail. I know that they'd be happy to put their life on pause and meet with you and tell you more about this Jesus and the salvation that we're all enjoying and celebrating today. So the Lord goes on, two positive commands. First he says, 
forgive and you will be forgiven. And I want to take a few minutes and talk about and explain forgiveness because I think forgiveness is sometimes misunderstood, but it's so central to what it means to be a Christian. Forgiveness is so central to the Christian life that it sometimes makes us sola people, like faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone kind of people. It makes us a little uncomfortable the way the Bible talks about forgiveness. Sometimes the Bible will talk about forgiveness in such a way that it's connected to our salvation. So just consider for a moment, Mark chapter 11, verse 25, this is Jesus speaking. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I mean, we... We've all memorized the Lord's Prayer. And how does it go in the Lord's Prayer? Father, forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. So Christian, your forgiveness of others is central because of who you are. Remember last week, who you are determines what you do. And who you are is forgiven. And forgiven people forgive people. It's central to who they are. Forgiven people forgive people. Brother, sister, Christian, this, this isn't optional for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And so it's really important that we know what it is. Forgiveness is a stepping toward, not a stepping away. You see, often when we say we forgive, what we actually mean is we dismiss. We put distance between us and the person who's offended us in order to protect ourselves from further harm. But that is not how God forgave us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our sin, God moved toward us. God forgave us at great expense to himself, at great shame to himself. God moved toward us in love, and then we received that forgiveness, and then broke our promises to him again, and then did it again, and then did it again, and he just keeps moving toward us. And if we would carry the name of Christ... We must do the same. Any coward can dismiss someone after an offense, but it takes great faith in a great God to move toward them in forgiveness and reconciliation. Dismissal costs us barely, but forgiveness costs us dearly. And Christian forgiveness is not a dismissal of people. Christian forgiveness is a dismissal of penalty. 
It's a decision to release someone from the obligation they owe you because of what they did to you. Their offense is a debt that they owe to you. But as a Christian who has received a forgiveness of our debts against our Heavenly Father, we offer the same to our brother and to our sister. We choose to release them from the debt which they owe to us. And so you might be wondering, wait a minute, Pastor, what about restitution? Don't they have to pay me back for what they did to me? Maybe. But restitution is on them, not you. Forgiveness is on you. Restitution is on them. Forgiven people forgive people. And so forgive, and you will be forgiven. Next, Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. And once again, this word means what you think it means. There's no magic here. Give things, give money, give goods, give services, give forgiveness, give mercy. It's an overall disposition of just giving, being generous in all things. And then Jesus explains, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I grew up in a church where this verse was quoted a lot and always applied to the offering. Give lots of money to Jesus and you'll get lots more money from Jesus. Like he's a a slot machine that's about to hit. And that's that's not 100% wrong. It's probably like 95% wrong. It's a cropping of the picture. In context, Jesus is talking about being generous in all things, not just money. We should be generous with our money, but we should also be generous with our forgiving, with our mercy, with our encouragements. And Jesus is teaching an agrarian people. They would have been familiar with this metaphor of pressing down and shaking. When a merchant was selling wheat or corn or something, they would measure it in a basket. And the images of someone putting their grain in the basket as much as they can, they they pour it in, they press it down, they shake the basket so it settles so that they can put more in the basket, even to overflowing. They're so happy to give to you, they're just going to pour it all into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is saying, if you give, if you give, if you give, if you give, just like God has been to you, you are to other generous giving to others, others will be giving back to you as much as they possibly can. But if you are stingy with your help, stingy in your compliments, stingy in your encouragements, then others will be the same to you. If you're graceless and exacting and harsh with others, others will be the same with you. If you're judging unjustly other people, the same will be measured to you. And to illustrate this point even further, Jesus tells a parable. 
Now remember, a parable is a story, an illustration that teaches a lesson. So let's read it again. He also told them a parable, verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Won't they both fall into a pit? Sight was not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But don't notice the log that is in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself cannot see the log that is in your own eye? Well, it seems to me that these three examples are saying the same thing, that before you do eye surgery, eye surgery on others, do eye surgery on yourself. Before making a judgment on others, make sure that you are seeing things correctly. Because if you're blind to something, then in your leading someone, you put both of you in danger. If you are blind to the pitfalls of your worldview, those you lead will be blind just like you. Verse 40 is saying the same thing. A disciple is not above their teacher. When the training is done, he'll be like his teacher. He'll know what his teacher knows. And if the teacher has a blind spot, then the, the student will too. Because you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so if you'll permit me a plug for verse-by-verse verse exposition of the Bible. This is why we work through books of the Bible verse-by-verse. Verse. It's a protective measure. It's to protect you from me. It's to keep me from a hobby horse, from cropping the Bible. When we work verse by verse through books of the Bible, the Spirit of God drives the narrative. And God's people hear what God says about God. And it keeps me from picking subjects which I think you need to hear and then going and grabbing verses to support the point I want to make. Or even worse, and more common, far more common, me picking passages, picking subjects which I think will make you like me. And if I'm blind to something, so will you be. And so this is why we work verse by verse, chapter by chapter, week by week. We seek by God's grace to understand the text and to not make the text fit our narrative, but to submit ourselves to the narrative of the text. Scripture is our authority. Scripture is our guide. Scripture is our standard. So plug over. Jesus continues fleshing this out for us. Verse 41. I'm just going to read it again for the third time because it's so important. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck that's in your eye out of your eye so that you can see better. But then you don't see the log that's in your own eye. So imagine you are working around the house and you get something in your eye. And you try your darndest to get that thing out, but it's of no use. And so you go to the doctor. And imagine the doc comes in and grabs your chart off the wall and puts 
his face three inches from the paper and squints to read it and says, you got something in your eye, do you? And then he feels his way around the room to a drawer where he pulls out a scalpel scalpel and says, well, let's have a look-see, shall we? What would you do? You would run. You can keep my deductive. I'm gone. It's an exaggeration, of course. But Jesus is saying that if you have a tree trunk sticking out of your eyeball, don't go trying to teach people how to see. If you go to the eye doctor and he or she is wearing corrective eyewear, that's just fine. But if he or she can't read the big eye chart any better than you, then maybe there's a better option. I don't know, Doc. It looks like a big E. That's what the other guy said. Should be right. He's saying, do eye surgery before doing eye surgery. Take the log of self-righteousness out of your own eye. Humble yourself. Repent before the Lord. Receive his full forgiveness. And then worry about others. So before you bring the text of Scripture to bear on someone else's life, turn the mirror of that thing on your own life. Which is, as we're talking about preaching, one of the great joys and terrors of preaching is that the preacher must preach the text to himself first. And I can tell you that the passage we considered last week has just been wrecking me all week. Do eye surgery, and then do eye surgery. We've just got to get the order right, which is the last thing Jesus says in this passage. We'll finish it out, verse 42. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the main point of this section, that there is a logical order to judging, to right judging. First, we remove the log from our eyes, and then we take the speck out of someone else's. And so we see that Jesus' command, do not judge, actually means don't judge hypocritically. Judge rightly. Judge with clear vision. Because Christians must judge. We are called to judge It's just that we have to judge rightly. And Jesus knows our tendency is to judge others by the book, but to judge ourselves on a curve. Author Paul Tripp writes often of the tiny little defense attorney who lives in each one of our hearts who wants to throw the book at everyone else, but provide reasoned defense for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, nope, 
judge rightly. But the question is, who do we judge? Who do we judge if we are to judge rightly? So we'll take a few minutes and we'll talk about who we should judge. I'll give you three people that we should judge. Three people the Bible says we must judge. And then at the end, to close out, we'll finish with a couple of things about when you're on the other end of judging, when you're receiving the criticism. So first person that we must judge is ourselves. We must judge ourselves. The Bible teaches us, commands us even, to judge ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so we must spend unhurried time in God's word, reflecting on the meaning of God's word and its application to our lives so that when the spirit of God convicts us of sin, we repent of that sin right away. Not tomorrow, not later, not when I get around to it, but right away. James chapter 2 warns us of those people who look at the mirror of God's word, see the dirt on their face, and turn around and forget all about it. So don't ignore the ketchup stain on your chin and complain about all these messy eaters. Judge yourselves. That's number one. Number two, judge teachers. Judge teachers. Paul told the Thessalonian church, test everything, hold fast to what is good. In Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were a people who were commended because the Bible says they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So we must teach those Or we must test those who are teaching us against the standard of God's word. We are a congregational church. That doesn't mean that we vote on the color of the carpet. It means that we believe that God has placed the responsibility upon the congregation to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being heralded from this pulpit. And that the gospel, the good news being heralded from this pulpit is God's gospel and not man's gospel. Paul told the Galatian church that if someone comes preaching to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. And he gave that responsibility to the church. Not just the elders of the church, the members of the church. And so we must judge the teaching of teachers. So first, we judge ourselves. Second, we judge our teachers. And third, this is is where it gets sketchy. We judge one another. Next week, Lord willing, Pastor Paul is going to work through verses 43 to 45 and talk a little bit more about this in depth. But judging one another is, you should know, one of the purposes, one of the benefits of church membership. 
Because when we receive new members into the church, we are tethering ourselves to them. We are committing ourselves to care about their spiritual well-being. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when you see a brother or sister, fellow member of the church struggling, go to them. Encourage them. Stir them up to love. Stir them up to good works. When a fellow member of the church is feeling down, build them up. When a member is pulling away, reach out to them. When a sister falls, pick her up. Move toward her. Restore her. Help her. When a brother sins against you, move toward him. Forgive him. Reconcile to him. We take the log out of our own eye, and as God gives us clarity, the ability to see clearly, then we take the speck out of our brother's eye. And the goal of all of this is two people without obstructions of sin clogging their heart's affections for Christ. Two people without sin clouding their vision to the beauties of Jesus. That's the point. So that we can all see Jesus as he truly is and we can rejoice in him as he truly is and we can follow him as Lord as he truly is. The goal of all of that Jesus is saying here is his glory and our good. But the way that we do this is just as important as the actual doing of it. We must be delicate. There must not be a hint of smugness. Like you, you haven't arrived, but I have, and let me bring you up to my level, kind of smugness. And there must not be one single atom of condemnation pushing down someone, building them up. We must be gracious with one another. We must be patient with one another. Just listen to the way the Apostle Paul told Timothy to do this in his church. This is 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. Just listen. And the Lord's servant, that's you, Timothy, young man. You must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents, with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 
Many of us here, we insist upon theological precision. And I love that. I think that's so like the Apostle Paul. Theologically fine point. To the praise of the glory of the grace of God. It's very fine point theologically. I love that about you. Keep insisting on theological precision. Words mean things. But beloved, note the apostle's words here. Not quarrelsome. Contend for the truth, but be not quarrelsome. And this is a balance that requires big God, God glorifying, patient nuance. Be kind to everyone. Teach, yes, teach, able to teach, teach. Correct those who are wrong with directness, no, with gentleness. And just let your eyes fall again on that phrase, patiently enduring evil. Let me just say it this way. And this this may hurt a little. But if you find yourself wagging your finger more than weeping in your heart, you need to close your mouth. This is about removing specks from someone's eyes. And we must remind ourselves that we can't discern the motive of someone else. God has left that outside of our purview. That's above our pay grade. That's his job. We have a hard time even figuring out our own motives. And so when we judge, we must judge specs, not motives. And we have to start again with ourselves. Is my motivation... And removing this speck from my brother's eye is my motivation to truly help my brother come to his senses, to escape the snare of the devil. Do I want my friend to see my Savior with speckless eyes? Is that what I want for him? Do I want him fruitful? Or do I want him to know that I'm right? So we have to check the log in our own eye. Close with this. If you spend any time in the church of God who believes the Bible is true, you're going to be on the other end of this discussion. You're going to be receiving correction at times. Sometime in your life, someone is going to point out a speck in your eye. And I, I've thought about this a lot this week. I don't know if we're worse at giving correction or receiving it. I'm not sure. I think it's a tie. 
But there are some times when we're going to receive correction. And so a few things about that as we close. First, when you receive correction, humble yourself. Number one, humble yourself before the Lord. Resist being defensive. As Paul Tripp says, you got to fire that defense attorney that lives in your heart. Humble yourself. And then number two, listen. Listen. Listen to the message more than the messenger. Listen to the message more than the messenger. Because even if your sister is coming to you and she's not handling it, maybe she's got the two by four stuck in her eye. Maybe she does. But listen to the message. There's probably some redeeming truth to what she's saying. And recognize that for most people, for the right people, giving criticism is very hard. It's quite likely this sister who is coming to you to point out the speck in your eye, she has prayed about this. Her stomach is in knots. It's the last thing she wants to do. But she knows because of God, because of you, because of her love for you, she's got to say something. And so, give her grace. Humble yourself. Listen. And then lastly, third, take the correction. Take it to your heart. Bring it to the Lord. Lay it before Him. And then here's what I would recommend you do. Take that correction and give it to a friend. And say, someone, don't don't name them. Someone came to me and, and she pointed this out, this speck in my eye. And I'm asking that you would love me enough to be honest with me and tell me, do you see the same speck in my eye? And don't go to that person that you know is just going to give you what you want to hear. So if you don't do this already, I would commend you to make it a regular part of your life to ask people if they see specks in your eyes, if there's things in your life that aren't good, some, something that's clouding your vision of the Savior. It's so good for you to do that. We are all unfinished projects of God's good grace. And we can all grow in some area or another. And we just need to think about how patient the Lord has been with us because he sees all our specks. He sees the specks that no one else can see. And you know, he deals with the specks one by one, not all at once. He patiently endures the others. And if that's how God has been with you, brother, sister, go and do the same for others. Seek clear eyes to help others. Do eye surgery before you do eye surgery. Amen. Please stand for the prayer of confession. We generally end our service with prayers of confession. We go to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness for these things that he has exposed in his word. And while I'll be the one leading this prayer, this prayer is for all of us. So let's pray.
Father, your son's words have hit hard this morning. And they have, as they always do, hit their mark. Will you continue to show grace to us and to give us humility to receive this corrective? Makes us think of Paul's instruction to consider others better than ourselves. And Lord, we shudder to think how often that we have thought too highly of ourselves and too little of others. Please forgive us. And when we come to you in prayer, will you remind us that no creature stands in greater need of grace than we do. And no creature has abused it more than we have and still do. And help us to remove ourselves from our view and to see Jesus. Have mercy on us. Fill us with a renewed sense of the preeminence of Christ. May he alone occupy our thoughts and the affections of our hearts and give us grace to see him clearly and to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient with one another so that the excellencies of Christ would be known. Amen. These have been hard words from the Lord over the last couple of weeks. And so it's important if you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins this morning that you hear the promise on the screen today. Proverbs 28.13 Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy.